Amen. Lord, that's our heart. You truly are all we want. Lord, there's nothing else this world has to offer that compares to you. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask as we go to your word right now that, Lord, you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Uh, If you're planning on coming on Wednesday, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. So I encourage you to read ahead. Uh, Pretty powerful chapter we'll be looking at on Wednesday night. I heard great things about the married couples retreat. I heard uh, people were very blessed to have gone. I praise the Lord for those who uh, had an opportunity to go. And so uh, if you are new here, let me just say uh, we're really glad you're here. We hope you feel welcomed and loved. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. You show up and you call this home. You're a part of the family. That's how it works. And so we just want you to know that we're really glad you're here. And again, if you have any questions, you need anything, we want to minister to you any way that we can. All right, well, let's pick up where we left off. Hebrews chapter 9. Again, for those of you who may not have been here and those of you who've been here all the way through, you need to hear it again anyway. Uh, Hebrews, as we know, is a book written by a Jew to the Jews telling them to quit being Jews, right? It was a book or a letter written to the first century church and they were being drawn back into Judaism after Jesus had already come. So now Jesus has come, he's risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them, the church is growing, but in the midst of that, persecution came, and with persecution, there was old family and friends who were still in Judaism, who were trying to draw them back into their old lifestyle. Now, in the midst of all that, this letter has a main theme, and the theme is, Jesus is better. Amen? And Jesus is better in chapter 1 than the prophets. He's better than the angels in chapter 2. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's the great high priest. As we continue on through the chapters, we've seen that Jesus is better. And he's making it clear. So those who are being drawn back into that old way of life, back into religion and away from a relationship, he's making it clear to them to do so is foolish. To do so is abandoning the Savior. Guys, we cannot walk with God and the world at the same time. We cannot choose religion and a relationship. We cannot reject Jesus Christ and think there's another path to heaven. He's the only way. He's the only hope. He's the only life. Amen? Amen. And there's no other way but Him. Now, so as we come to chapter 9, as we saw last week, I titled the message, if you were here, Sewing Up the Veil, because what they were trying to do was get them to go back to that religious system again. And the first half of the chapter is really talking about, you know, that old way of life, going back to the rituals, going back to the rules, going back to religion. And he gave the example or the picture of the, and I encourage you to get the tape if you were not here, or the CD, they're always free, help yourself. But we looked at all the implements in the tabernacle. And we talked about how every single one of them pointed to Jesus Christ. And you got to love it. You got to love the Bible because it rocks. Amen. And when you look at the, you know, whether it be the altar of, of where the, the bronze altar, that again, being a picture of the cross, bronze being judgment, the bronze laver, a picture of baptism, you know, going into the, 
the golden lampstand, a picture of the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, the showbread, he's the bread of life, the altar of incense, he intercedes on our behalf, you know, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, a picture of both his death, his burial, and his resurrection all wrapped up in one. Again, grab the CD, you'll be blessed. So all of that is a picture of Jesus Christ, and there were things that they were being drawn back into that had become, as the text said last week, obsolete. No longer do we have those religious feasts. No longer do we sacrifice animals. No longer do we observe those things. Why? Because Jesus came and he fulfilled it, so we don't do that anymore. So as we get to this morning, the second half, we're going to move from the old covenant religion to new covenant relationship. From an earthly sanctuary to a heavenly one. From types and foreshadows to the fulfillment. From the blood of bulls and goats that covered sin temporarily to the blood of our Savior that cleanses us forever. From a temporary blessing to an eternal one. From once a year access to the Holy of Holies for only one man on the planet to once and for all access to all men into the very presence of Almighty God. From keeping of the law to receiving God's grace. Guys, it's a dramatic transition that happens right here. It goes from being this You know, religion that had become very dead for most was fulfilled by Christ, had become obsolete, and now it's about a relationship. Guys, I pray that none of us would be caught up being religious. Let's let's have a relationship with the Lord, amen? From the transition also went from do, do, do to done. The law says do, grace says done, amen? It's been paid. From walking by sight to walking by faith. From an earthly and temporal focus to a heavenly and eternal one. From a flawed and temporary high priest to a perfect and eternal one. From attempting to sew up the veil and keep a distance between sinful man and holy God to entering into God's presence anywhere and anytime. So what keeps us caught up in the old covenant lifestyle, in the old covenant mindset? What is it that keeps us from truly experiencing the grace of God? Of God. I believe it's caught up in one main thing a lack of faith. It's a lack of truly trusting what the Word of God says. Guys, God says it, that settles it, that's enough. Amen? How many times does God have to say it before we listen? Once. Amen? But God is repetitive throughout Scripture, isn't He? Because He knows how thick we are and He loves us. Amen? So He'll tell us again and again and again. But guys, we need to come to the place where we hear the word of God, and we respond, not with just belief, but behavior. Amen? If we truly believe it, it ought to impact our behavior. If we listen to the word of God, we ought to live differently. And so, we're coming to the second half of this chapter, and we see that this lack of faith, this going back to the old lifestyle, again, you might say, well, Pastor Dave, what's this got to do with us? You know, I I haven't thought about sacrificing a lamb in the last couple of weeks hasn't run through my mindset. I haven't thought about going down to the temple that doesn't exist anymore. You know, what are you talking to us about? Well, first of all, it's in the Bible, so we're going to go over it. Amen. But guys, for us today, we may not be drawn back to the slaughtering of lambs, but we may be drawn back to an old way of life. We may be drawn back to something or someone else that is apart from Jesus Christ. We may be drawn back to legalism. We may be drawn back to religion. And guys, our focus needs to be on a relationship. You know, here's the problem. 
The Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we as human beings like to see stuff. We want to see it, we want to touch it, we want to hold it, we want to have it in our hands for a while before we believe it. But the Lord told us, you know, not to, you know, see and then, be, you know, and then believe, but believe and then see. You know, believe first, trust first. But this is the pattern we see throughout Scripture. Remember the children of Israel in 1 Samuel. They cried out for a king. Why did they want a king? Because everyone else had a king. And they wanted a king they could see and a king they could touch and a king they could follow. And they got King Saul. How'd that work out for them, by the way? Not so good. And you know, here's the point. God was their king. And guys, God is our king. And Jesus is our Savior, and He is our Lord, and He should be enough. Amen? He should be enough. You might say, well, I need, I need a relationship to be happy. I need a promotion at work. I need a bigger house. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but guys, you need to come to a place where you find peace if all you have is Jesus Christ. You know what? When you find out that He's all you need when He's all you have. Amen? I go to India. These people live in a little shack, and they got more joy than most... Christians I know in the United States and they don't know they're missing anything because they're not distracted. They spend more time in prayer and more time in the word and more time sharing their faith. And sometimes my prayer is, Lord, just take away all the stuff that gets my eyes off of you. Amen? That was a weak amen. Well, not so much. Yeah, you guys amen, not me. <laughs> kind of like my new iPhone. I'm hanging on to that. You know, I like my stuff, right? I mean, sometimes we get so wrapped up. But as we come to the second half of this chapter, we need to move beyond this whole mentality of being unwilling to step out in faith. You've heard it said before, and I totally disagree with it. I hear Christians quote it all the time. He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. I've never met that person. I've never met one person that was so heavenly-minded they were no earthly good. I find people that are so earthly-minded they're no heavenly good. Amen? We need to be more heavenly-minded. Amen? We need to be so focused on heaven that we can hardly stand it. We can't wait to get there. Guys, that's our home. Amen? And too often, well, why? Because we want to hang on to this life, don't we? A Christian dies and we all fall apart. Guys, we grieve, but not as those without hope, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Amen? And if we truly believe that, we ought to be celebrating at a memorial, not, you know, feeling like somebody killed us. Guys, it is a joy. It's a get-to, amen? To go into the presence of Almighty God. Lord, help paint eternity on our eyes. So, one more verse, and we'll get to the text, I promise. It says in Colossians 3, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Guys, my prayer this entire week, as I've been studying this chapter, is that we would be a church that would live in light of eternity. That every decision we would make would be in light of how it's going to impact eternity. Lord, how is my job change going to impact eternity? Lord, how is this relationship, how are these choices I'm making going to impact eternity? Because guys, this life is but a vapor. And we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen? Amen. And you're going to be in the presence of God a lot longer than you're here. And we need to live now to impact then. And too often now we're just so focused on this vapor of time. So help us, Lord, to set our eyes on eternity. To live every day in light 
of eternity, to be burdened for the lost, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So last week we saw five reasons that the earthly sanctuary was inferior. Remember sewing up the veil. Number one, we saw that it was an earthly sanctuary, which meant it was temporary. Number two, it was just a picture of something greater. Number three, the people couldn't go there. Only the priests could go, right? Only the high priest could go in. That meant everybody else was locked out. It was temporary, and it ministered only to man's outward need. Now, this morning, we're going to move on and look at the superiority of Christ and the heavenly sanctuary. Now that Jesus has come, all the stuff from the Old Testament, that Old Covenant, was of no value. It was obsolete. It could do nothing to draw anyone closer to God. As a matter of fact, at that point, it was drawing people away from God. Guys, there are people that are very religious and very lost. Amen? There's a woman I work, most of you guys know, I went back to work a couple months ago. And there's a woman in my office that I worked with for many, many years. And I came back and she's very militant in her faith and she's not a Christian. And when she heard I was coming back to work, she made sure she wore a, a shirt she wanted to wear the first day to make sure I saw it. And the shirt said, born right the first time. And she said, hey Dave, I got something I want to show you. Check out my shirt, born right the first time. And you know what I said, and her name's JJ, pray for her. I said, JJ, do you really believe that? You think you were born right? Well, yeah, yeah, you're perfect. Well, almost, so you're not quite perfect then. <laughs> Neither am I. We're sinners in need of a Savior, amen? She's very religious and very lost, very sincere and sincerely wrong, amen? And here's the point, guys. We need to be salt and light. And, and I'm, they're just, God's lighting a fire in my heart that, you know what, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. Let's live every day sold out for eternity, amen? I mean, I so passionately want to see Santa Cruz turn right side up, don't you? And Lord, start in our hearts first. So we're going to see two things. The superiority of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary compared to what the world has to offer. Number one, we're going to see that the superior, the superior sanctuary. And then number two, the superior sacrifice. Let's begin in verse 11, picking up where we left off last week. The superiority of Christ and the heavenly sanctuary. Again, the people were being drawn back to the temple that was still there for a few more years. They're being drawn back to religion and away from a relationship. And the writer is now going to be real forthright in getting their eyes back on Jesus. So look what it says in verse 11. But Christ. Now if you were here last week, while the old covenant and the tabernacle and its furnishings and its sacrifices were all clear pictures of Christ, and while daily and weekly and annual sacrifices were all put in place by God to reveal the high price of sin, it also, and it served to cover man's sin and push it toward the coming Messiah, it could not bring redemption. It could not bring salvation. Only one man could enter into the Holy of Holies. It had the power to cleanse outwardly, but not to transform inwardly. And he gives this whole example of all those furnishings that all pointed to the Lord but by themselves could save no one and so then he says in contradiction to all of that but Christ here's the answer guys here's all the things that are the rituals that are there all the religion that's available it all points to the Lord you can enter into that but it will not save you but Christ will amen Jesus Christ is the answer 
He's the hope that lies within us. He came as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and pictures and sacrifices. And when he came, he instituted the new and far superior covenant between God and man. So how was this covenant better than the early Jewish Christians were the one that they they were being drawn back into that had now become obsolete? Look what it says. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Jesus is a better high priest. What was happening was they were coming to these Jewish Christians and saying, you don't even have a high priest. You don't have a temple. No one's blowing any trumpets. You're not dragging lambs in. What have you got? We've got the temple, which again, the temple is the most phenomenal, you know, maybe the most phenomenal building in the history of the world. And when they would, they would talk about their faith being in the building, praise God that our faith isn't in our building, amen? amen. You know, you meet in a gymnasium, kind of takes that problem away, doesn't it? But the point is, too often, people are attached to a building. At Calvary in San Jose, it was a, an Assembly of God church before, and then they, they went bankrupt, and Calvary Chapel took it over, and a lot of the people stayed, even though they didn't really agree with a lot of what was being taught, because they liked the building. And praise God, eventually they, you know, they came along and it was all right. But the point is, but this is our building. Guys, I'm so glad we meet in a gym. Nobody's going to worry about that. Nobody's going to go, but this is our gym, right? Amen? The point is, the point is that we need to get past religion, get past all the trappings surrounding it, and get into that intimate fellowship with the Lord. And that's what he's encouraging them. But Christ, he's the fulfillment. He came as the high priest. He's a great high priest. We've been talking about him being the high priest for weeks, for several chapters. And again, the other high priest, what happened to them? They would die at some point, right? You don't even have a high priest. He goes, yeah, well, you've had five of them because they keep dying, right? Our high priest will never die. Amen? Their high priest could be disqualified because he blew it. Our high priest is perfect. Amen? And he will never fall and he will never fail us. The good things to come. What are the good things to come in Christ? Better promises. An eternal inheritance. Things to be hoped for. Look what it says. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Now, you've got to understand something. Imagine going to someone in India and telling them you had a better Taj Mahal. You know the Taj Mahal you're really proud of? We had a better one. But you see, he's saying we have a better tabernacle. They're like, what are you talking about? You guys meet in homes. You know, we have the temple that Herod built. It's the most beautiful building in the world. How can you have a better tabernacle? And then he says, it's one that is not built with hands. That is not of this creation what is the better tabernacle well it's a heavenly one he's talking not about a tent or a a building on this planet but one that's in heaven that will endure forever and so that's far better than anything the world can give you amen no matter how beautiful the building is here on earth at some point it's going to burn because it's all going to burn And he says there, more perfect tabernacle. The word perfect can be complete or finished. So unlike the tabernacle and the temple that these early Christians were tempted to go back to, this one was perfect. 
Again, not on earth where it's temporary, prone to falling apart. It would soon be destroyed. Not many years after this letter was written, that temple was put to the ground. Not one stone remained on the other. It was completely and totally destroyed in 70 A.D. And this letter was written in the late 60s A.D. So this temple that they were holding on to was about to crumble. Guys, this is why we should not hold on to anything we can lose. Amen? If you're holding on to your 401k, if you're holding on to your, you know, if you've got something that you find to be your security that you can lose, you're not very secure. But if you hold on to the Lord, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? You will never be lost. And praise God for His incredible grace. You know what? In heaven, we're going to be with the Lord forever. In the heavenly tabernacle. That's where Jesus is right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. It never needs to be moved. It never needs to be repaired. It never needs to be replaced. So as beautiful and awe-inspiring as the temple was, it indeed was temporary. Guys, this world is fallen, and we need to hold lightly to it. Amen? So a better sanctuary... We see that in Christ, it's better than the temple. No matter how awe-inspiring it was from the world's perspective, what they had in Jesus Christ was better. And that's what the writer's telling them. What you have in the Lord is eternal. You know what, guys? There's, the worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. Amen? What's the worst thing the world could do to me? Shoot me dead. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? You know, the point is that we too often get our priorities mixed up and our joy and our, our temporary happiness is built around the things of this life that are perishing. Guys, if you put your faith in your health, if you put your faith in, in anything, that, again, that you can lose, there's going to be times where you're depressed and you're anxious and you're worried. But when your faith and your hope are in the Lord, there's no fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen. We have a better sanctuary. We have a better home. We have a a better place where we're headed, where we're going to spend eternity. And guys, that should be the source of our joy, not the temporary circumstances of this life. So a better sanctuary, the superiority of Christ and the heavenly sanctuary. Number two, a superior or a better sacrifice. Look at verse 12. Look what it says. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. If you underline verses in your Bible, get your pen out. Is that a great verse or what? Understand, look what it says. Not with the blood of goats and calves. Now, those who are still making the sacrifices in the temple, what kind of blood do they have? Goats and calves, right? Now again, that was God's plan in the Old Covenant. It was all pointed to Jesus, but once Jesus came, it became obsolete. Then it says, after that, with His own blood, He entered the most holy place. Now what's interesting is that those animal sacrifices could perfect no one, could bring no one into God's presence, and had to be repeated again and again and again. But now in the New Covenant... It was no longer the blood of animals that had to be repeated every single day. It was now the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, that was paid once and for all. Amen? This is why we're not dragging lambs in here on Sundays. Amen? 
This is why we don't have to observe all those rituals. Why? Because when Jesus paid the price, it was finished for good. Once and for all. So in the old covenant, it was this constant animal sacrifice. And now in the new covenant, it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Guys, he brought his own blood. No other priest ever did that. Amen? They brought the blood of an animal. They weren't taking their own blood. And by the way, he brought his own blood voluntarily. I don't think there was any other sacrifices that volunteered. Amen? I don't think the goats were like, no, my turn. I get to get my, th- my, my I, it's my turn. I get to get, you know, my, my throat slit today. And no, no, get in line, man. No, that's not happening. They were dragging him in there, weren't they? But you know what? Jesus Christ, not a doubt in my mind, that when they held out his hand, he didn't fight him like no doubt every other man who was crucified ever did. He laid it out there freely. Amen? And it was not nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for us. So he freely laid down his life for us out of his incredible love and desire to see us have intimate fellowship with the Father. And we see this contrast between the sacrificial system where they brought in the blood of a... First thing the high priest had to do was he had to bring in a sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ didn't have to. He was both high priest and the sacrifice. He was both. And the only reason he could be both is he's perfect, holy God made manifest in the flesh. Jesus presented himself. He paid the price once, and it never needs to be repeated. Look what it says there. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Now, who is allowed to enter the most holy place? Only the high priest. That's why Jesus Christ is the great high priest. Amen? And he was able to enter in to the most holy place, but he didn't enter in on earth. He entered in in heaven. It says, once for all boy i'll tell you guys this should be a great encouragement to us have you ever felt condemned because you sin and you feel like god could not possibly forgive you you ever felt so bummed out like you just blown it and now god couldn't love you anymore and you feel like oh lord what do i have to do to get back into your favor guys here's the good news he already did all that needs to be done for you to be in his good favor amen once for some does it say once for the chosen, once for the few, once for the elect. It says once for all. Praise God. Amen? Amen. And that word all in the original language means all. And so praise God that he paid the price once for all. And we can have intimate fellowship. The old covenant couldn't save. The old covenant was not a permanent solution. It was only pointing to the one who would come. And Jesus Christ is the one who came. Again, His access was not to the model of heaven. You know, the temple on earth was a picture of the one that's in heaven. Moses was given an example, and he built the tabernacle as a model to what was in heaven. Jesus didn't enter the model, he entered heaven. Guys, not the foreshadow of heaven, but heaven itself. These guys were all pointing to the one who would come, and Jesus is the one who came. His sacrifice is better because it's in heaven, It's not temporary, and it allows us all to enter in. The high priest could only enter in by himself. Jesus entered in so we could all come with him. Amen? He's a better high priest. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Not only that, the high priest was motivated in his actions by the law. 
He had a day he had to do it. I'm not saying he wasn't serving God or worshiping God. They were high priests that were set up by God, no doubt. Many of them great and godly men used mildly by the Lord. But understand, their whole motivation was, what does the law say? What do I do on this day? What sacrifice do I do on that day? Our Savior was not motivated by the law, but by love. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wants to, because he loves you. Amen? You need to be reminded daily that the Lord loves you. You need to be reminded hour by hour that you are His treasured possession. That He would rather die than live without you. You are so incredibly precious to Him. And it says, having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. To redeem means to purchase something back to pay the ransom, to pay the price that we could not pay. And Jesus paid it, and now we've been redeemed forever. It isn't we get bought and sold and bought and sold, and He buys us back. And so often, if you're living in a legalistic religion, you're going to often feel like you've fallen away, and you've come back, and you've fallen away, and you've come back. Guys, we may sin, and we do. But when we sin, we don't cease to be His kids. Amen? We don't get kicked out of the family. We do need to come back and be restored to Him. We do need to seek His face, but we never cease to be His children. You know, I have four kids, and I would die for my children, absolutely, without a question. You know what? There's times when my children need to be disciplined. There may be a time when they get sent to their room from the dinner table, but you know what? They never cease being my kids, amen? And when they come back and say they're sorry, what do I say every single time? You're forgiven. Amen? Why? Because you love your children. I'm an imperfect earthly father. How much better is our perfect heavenly father? Amen? He loves us unconditionally. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ. For the blood, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, if these imperfect sacrifices were received as sufficient by Israel, how much more should they regard the ultimate sufficiency of the perfect sacrifice? Again, the old covenant was a temporary covering. Remember, context is king when you're reading this chapter, when you're reading this book. He's talking to people who are thinking about going back to those old sacrifices. And he's saying, hey, if bulls and goats is sufficient, how much more sufficient is Jesus Christ? If bulls and goats is an answer to obediently to God, how much greater in drawing you into intimate fellowship with the Lord is the blood of our Savior? The bulls and goats are imperfect, but God is perfect. This is a temporary sacrifice pointing to the one who would come. This is the sacrifice that is once and for all. Why would you go anywhere else? This morning, my word to all of you, you're going to be tempted. People in this room, you're going to be tempted. You're going to have people tell you about some new thing, some new. Guys, if it's, if it's new, it's not true. Amen. Amen? And if it's true, it's not new. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some new thing coming down the pike, we don't need it. i got 66 books in my hand, and you know what? There's enough right there, amen? And we need to read the book. We need to spend time in His Word. And we don't need to look for the new thing. But that's exactly what can draw people away. They can be drawn away by the new thing. But praise God that He's sufficient. 
Then it says, they're not only the blood of goats and calves, but then it also says, it says the ashes of a heifer. What is that about? If you were here in the Old Testament, in Numbers 19, they, they would have a, a red heifer that was offered and burnt, and its ashes were kept. And then if anybody was unclean, they had to take some of those ashes and mix the ashes with water and sprinkle it on them to be clean again. Do you know that right now they are trying to find a red heifer in preparation for when they build the new temple in Jerusalem? That is an absolute fact. They've got got, uh, farmers, they've got cattle people that are trying to breed a red heifer for them. I've seen pictures of one they thought was finally a red heifer, but it had a gray hair. It has to be completely red. It had one gray hair. Oh, disqualified. Now, the sad part is they're trying to, you know, have a red heifer when they can have the Savior. Amen? You want a red cow. You can have Jesus. Amen? You don't have to breed. You don't have to hire a farm. You don't have to do anything. Just come on your knees before the Lord and give your life to Him, and you won't need red heifers or calves or goats or bulls anymore. Amen? But sadly, they're trying to, you know, in preparation, and we know that that will all come into play when the Antichrist rises to power. So in the Old Covenant, where there was this ceremonial cleansing, it was, it was temporary cleansing somebody, cleansing their flesh. But in the new covenant, with Jesus Christ, we're cleansed forever. We don't need to sprinkle water and ashes on ourselves anymore. Amen? We are now clean. And again, what a clear contrast this is for us in this room. But understand, for the people getting this letter, this was a great temptation to go back to that old way of life. I've shared this with you before. My heart is not to offend anybody, uh, but I'm going to share it bluntly. I know that surprises you. But you know... I have a dear friend who came here for quite a while, and he'd come out of the Catholic Church. But he went back because he wanted to get his teenage boys confirmed, and then he was going to come back here. And I'm like, confirmed for what? I mean, bro, God bless you, that's great. Well, yeah, you know, they need to go through confirmation. Why? Well, you know, we need to cover all our bases. What? What, Jesus doesn't cover them all? Amen? If guys... We need to understand it's not about fulfilling religious duty, but about having a relationship with the Lord. Guys, is Jesus Christ your best friend? Are you married to Him? We're His bride, amen? Are you married to Jesus? Is He your best friend? Do you have intimate fellowship with Him every day? That's the difference between religion and a relationship. Religion is fulfilling duty, checking off the box just in case. Oh, baptism, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. I was supposed to, yeah, got to do that. And you know, oh, I was really bad this week. Probably should go to church twice. That'll cover it, right? And we kind of get this mentality of, you know, weighing the good with the bad, which is nowhere in Scripture. And aren't you glad because your bad side would outweigh your good side big time? Amen? Is that true of only me or anybody else agree with that? And so the truth is, praise God that it's grace. Praise God that it's mercy. Praise God that it's not religion. And again, the word religion originally means to relink, and I love that word, but what it's come to mean today is man trying to reach God by his own efforts. Guys, that never works, and it never will. Then look what it says, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God. The sacrifices of the old covenant could only outwardly cleanse the flesh in anticipation of the coming Messiah and had to be done every single day. Jesus came, done. Forever. Amen? And so praise God for grace. I'm so glad we're not living in the midst of works. How much more the shed blood of the spirit-filled, sinless Messiah than the blood of a bull or a goat. Amen? Now the bulls and goats were set up by God to show the high price of sin, to show that there must be shedding of blood for forgiveness of sin. But all of it was pointing to Jesus, and when Jesus came, it became obsolete. There are several people that even attend this church that are still trying to be Jewish and go back and fulfill. Guys, stop it. Amen? Read Hebrews. Uh, If you've been here every week, I don't understand why you're still doing that. You don't need to go back and fulfill those things. Guys, we love to look at the Old Testament because there's so many pictures of the Lord, but we love to look at it because we see Jesus in it, not to replace Jesus. Amen? That's why we look to see the Lord manifest in the Old Testament. While the blood of bulls and goats pushed their sins toward the coming Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah who fulfilled it. Then it says, cleanse your conscience from dead works. What dead works? Any man-made attempt to find favor with God. A dead work is you trying to find favor with God by doing stuff. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that starts telling you all the good stuff they've done? Don't they? And I mean, from a logical extent, doesn't it make sense? Well, you know, I give to charity. And you know what? There's, that's good. That's great. And, you know, and I, I help out with people, and I, you know, and I, I drive the speed limit, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I mowed the neighbor's lawn when he was sick one time, and, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, you know, I'm a good guy. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And we've got to stop looking at the good things we've done because there's never going to be enough to save you and to counterbalance the sin that you have. You know what? As I said to JJ, she said, well, I'm not quite perfect. I said, you know what? The distance between perfection and where the arrow lands on the archery board and on, on a target is called the sin distance. The distance between the bullseye and where you land is called the sin distance. So whether you miss by an inch or 10,000 miles, you still miss the mark and you're still a sinner. Amen? Amen. And we're all sinners in need of a Savior and we need Jesus Christ. And so guys, it's not the good things we've done, it's the good He's done for us. He's the only one who's holy. He's the only one who's righteous. And look what it says. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Guys, we're called to make Him more than Savior, but to make Him Lord. Amen? It says to cleanse our conscience so we can just live like the world until we go to heaven. Is that what it says? To serve the living God. Are we serving the living God? Is He our master? Are we serving Him? Are we following Him? Is He the priority of our lives? As Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody, right? (laughs) It may be the devil, but you know we got to serve somebody. And we're all serving somebody. But let's serve Jesus Christ. Verse 15. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. 
Amen. For this reason, he's the mediator. The word mediator there means reconciler, the go-between, the intercessor. Because he brought his blood, by his blood, he brings the Old and the New Testament, Old and New Covenant together. And Jesus, the one and only mediator, redeems not only New Covenant saints, but the Old Covenant saints as well. What happened to people who died who had faith in the coming Messiah before Jesus came. What happened to them? Where did they go? The Bible says they went to Abraham's bosom. Now, let me clear something up, because my son asked me this question this week. His Bible teacher at Montevista told him something that was wrong. I'll be making a phone call. But here's the point. People will tell you that after Jesus died on the cross that he went down into the flames of hell and was tormented and suffered for our sin. That's not true. The Bible says, what did Jesus say? It is what? Finished. No more. The Bible says he descended into the depths of the earth. Where he went, though, was Abraham's bosom. If you read Luke 16, you know the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a beggar seated by the gates of the rich man's home, and the rich man had everything. Lazarus would just hope to catch a crumb. Then they both died, and when they died, it says that the rich man went into hell, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was a waiting place, I believe, where some people get the false concept of purgatory, all right? But here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says during those three days, he went down and witnessed to those who were in Abraham's bosom, testifying of himself, and he let the captives, right? He let them free, right? He set them free. He entered them into the presence of the Father. So when Jesus came, he not only was the new covenant Savior, he's the old covenant Savior as well. Amen? And he brought them all into the presence. So even those who by faith were waiting for the coming Messiah, they're all saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In the old covenant, they were looking forward to him. And you and I today look back to the cross of Calvary. Now, I love this picture because Jesus is the answer for everybody. Amen? He's the answer. He's the hope. You can't get saved apart from him. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other life. It's Jesus Christ and him alone you know it's interesting quickly he's at abraham's bosom and he can look across and see the rich man and if you know the story the rich man is burning and in torment and he asks if lazarus he asks abraham if lazarus can take his finger and dip it in some water and put it on his tongue to give him some relief he remembers lazarus when he's in hell Then he says, go and tell, okay, if he can't do that, please go tell my family so they don't end up here. So that tells me that those who are in hell have total memory of their lives on this planet. And they're going to remember every time they rejected Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. They're going to remember every time they sat in a church and the gospel was preached. And they're going to remember it for all eternity. Guys, that's heavy duty stuff, isn't it? And you know what? Every time I do a funeral, I teach Luke 16. Because I can tell you this, that every person who dies, if they could come back, whether they knew God or not, will tell you the same thing. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is our hope. There is a heaven and there is a hell, no matter which side they're on, because the rich man said, go tell my family, I don't want him coming here. Amen? So, we see that the Lord, 
Jesus Christ is the one who brings everyone. He's the only path. He's the only hope. He's the only one that can bring anyone into heaven. You know what's interesting? It says when Jesus rose from the dead that some of the Old Testament saints got up out of the ground and went into the city and started witnessing. You know that's in the Bible, right? So he went down and witnessed to the people in Abraham's bosom, and then he brought some of them back with him when he rose from the dead, and they went around and went. How come everyone didn't get saved? Does that show the hardness of man's heart or what? If dead relatives show up at your house, kind of a sign. Amen? If grandma, who you buried 14 years ago, comes knocking at your door, I'm thinking salvation. I'm thinking Get right with God right now. Amen? Amen. But you know what? It's interesting. The rich man was told, if they won't believe the prophets, they won't believe if I send angels to them. If the word is God is, is not enough, nothing is enough. Do you understand that? That's why the word of God needs to be preached with boldness, because the word of God is sufficient. Abraham's bosom is now empty. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Nobody goes into a way station. Nobody goes halfway to heaven. Guys, we go all the way in a blink. Amen? You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in glory, and I can hardly wait. And then it says, Under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Again, the inheritance that we get is forever and ever. And again, praise God that it's finished, that it's done. There's no more else we can do. We can't add to it. All we can do is walk in faith to who we've become in Jesus Christ. For those Jewish believers to go back to the old covenant would be to ignore that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices, all the feasts, all the furnishings, that the old covenant was obsolete. The going to it would be to leave the Messiah for dead works and rituals that would lead to eternal separation. Guys, we cannot say it enough. We can't shout it loud enough. Jesus Christ is the only way. And we should not be ashamed of that. Speak it in love, but do it with great boldness. I have no idea. I'm not going to get to the end. We'll just keep going until it's time to stop. Verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be a death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now, the word for testament there, this might help you, it's the same word as a last will and testament. So if you write out your last will and testament, it doesn't mean anything until you die, and then it goes into effect, right? So it has no power until the testator dies, the mediator dies. And so this last will and testament, Jesus' death made the fullness of his wealth available to us. It's only available because he died and he rose again. Amen? He died and he rose again, so now all that he has is available to us who will receive him. Jesus said in Luke 22, This cup is the New Testament, or the new covenant, in my blood, which is shed for you. Covenant promises always had to be solidified whenever you see them in Scripture through a blood sacrifice. You remember when Abraham made covenant with God and God took 
and he took some animals, he split them in half, and then God walked through the middle of them. You know, when, we, when they made a covenant, it was them saying, if I break this covenant, this is what's going to happen to me. It's going to result in my death. The covenant was always sealed with blood. This is the promise that came to us from our Savior, and it was sealed through His blood upon the cross. Amen? So what he's saying very clearly, look, all those other you know, promises, all those other things were pointing to the one who would die on the cross. And only when one dies can the promise come. And Jesus is the only one who died. He's the only one who rose. He's the only one who could pay the price. Again, he's driving it home over and over and over because this is so very important. Again, guys, it's so easy to get our eyes off the simplicity of the gospel and try to add to it. Try to change it. By the way, I was really blessed to read something. Somebody sent me an email last night that Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, the biggest seeker-sensitive church in America, came out this week and said, we've been doing things wrong and we need to get back to preaching the gospel. How awesome is that? He said, you know, we've been drawing crowds, but we're not making any Christians. We're not making any disciples. You know what? Maybe we've been doing it wrong. Praise God that he's willing to admit that and pray for him. Amen? That's an awesome thing. That's an answer to a lot of prayer. But that's what happens when we can so easily get away from the simplicity of the gospel and try to do something other than just preach Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. So the first covenant, the old covenant, it too was put in place through the blood. Moses comes down from the mountain. They make a sacrifice. The people say, we will do all that God says we will do. And he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the book and on the people to show that there's now a covenant between man and God. Guys, aren't you glad we're not in the old covenant? Instead of blood being sprinkled on us physically through his shed blood, we've been redeemed spiritually. Amen? And that is so much better. It is so much better. We are the most blessed of all people. Then it says, verse 21, Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And, listen to this, if you underline things, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Guys, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. Another word for that is forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, and we're going to stop with that verse, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Now, the world seems to think maybe time will forgive my sin. Now, truthfully, am I the only one? Do you sometimes think the further away you get from a sin you committed, the better off you are? Anybody else think like that? Am I the only one? Well, that was like six months ago. That's not so bad. It's quite a ways away now, right? Do we do that? And the point he's making here, it's not time away from sin that cleanses us. It's not good works that cleanse us. The only thing that can forgive us for sin is the shedding of blood. Do you guys know the first time blood was shed in human history? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, what did they do? You can have anything but that tree. Anything but that one tree. Anything but that tree. And we all go, Adam and Eve, knuckleheads, you would have done it too. And so here's the point. (laughs) 
It's true, right? So here's the thing. Adam and Eve, I don't, you know, I wonder how long it was until they ate of the tree. I'm thinking hours or days. I could be wrong. Maybe it was six months. I don't think so. I just know human nature. Serpent showed up. Oh, you'll be like God. Really? Okay. Ah, you know, and that's how we are. But you know what happened? As soon as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened? They, for the first time, realized that they were naked and they were sinners. They had blown it. They knew separation from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says that God made tunics out of animal skins. So the first time you see the shedding of blood is for the covering of sin in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible fits perfectly. Amen? Nothing had ever died before that. No, no, no uh, animals had been killed. No one had died. Nothing had died. And the first time you see blood being shed, it's to cover up the sin of Adam and Eve and the nakedness they now had because they had sinned against Almighty God. It was all a picture of Jesus Christ who was to come. Guys, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And guys, it can't just be the shedding of blood of anything. It must be the shedding of blood of one who can pay the price. Guys, the only one who could pay the price for us is not an animal. It had to be someone who was in all ways tempted like us and yet without sin. It had to be someone who was fully man and fully God. Guess what? There's only one who qualifies and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why all these other prophets who come along, all these other, quote, messiahs, there's a guy down in Florida who says he's Jesus Christ and they all call him Messiah. Uh, uh, Sorry. Not so much. Guys, he's a sinner in need of a Savior, amen? And the point is, there's only one who could pay the price. There's only one who would pay the price. There's only one who did pay the price, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's the one who we put our faith in, amen? Amen. And aren't you glad they're not keeping score in heaven every time you blow it? Aren't you glad it's by grace we've been saved, not of works lest any man should boast. Guys, if it was our works, it'd be a paycheck. It's the free gift of God. So, let me encourage you. Let me exhort you. Guys, Jesus Christ, why would we go anywhere else? He's the Lord. He's our Savior. He's our God. He's our King. He should be our Master. We should be in love with Him. He needs to be the passion of our lives above all else. He needs to be more important than our job. More important than our marriage. You heard me. That's right. More important than your marriage. You know the best thing you can do for your spouse is be on fire for God. Because if you're on fire for God, you'll be the best spouse around. Amen? The best thing you can do for your kids is be on fire for God because then you'll be the best parent around because you will be reflecting Jesus Christ to them. The best thing you can do for your boss is be on fire for God because then you'll be the best employee in the building. Guys, the exhortation of this chapter is don't turn away from the Lord after anything else, no matter how good it looks, because Jesus Christ is the only answer and to turn away from Him is death. Guys, let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? And let's not add to Him. Let's not put anything beside Him. He belongs here and nobody else belongs next to Him. Amen? He alone belongs in the throne. He's our Lord, our God, our Savior, our King, and we can't begin to worship Him enough. Amen? Right now we're going to go right into a time of communion. And it's interesting that that last verse we just looked at, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So right now we're going to go to a time of communion, Lord's Supper. This is a time where we do three things, really. We look back to the cross of Calvary. Remember 
Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But it's also a time when we look within and we reflect on our own lives. Lord, if there's anything in me that needs to change, not so I can earn salvation, but Lord, I want to walk in intimate fellowship with you. Lord, shine the halogen light of your Holy Spirit upon my life. And let me come with a confessing heart. So not only do we look back at the cross and we look within and examine our own hearts, but Jesus also said, the next time you have this with me, it's speaking to the apostles, will be in heaven. Guys, there's going to be a time when we have this supper in heaven. Amen? So we can not only look back to the cross and look within, we can look forward to the time we will have this with the Lord one day. Man, I can hardly wait. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. And we thank you for your incredible grace. Lord, may we never put anything near you, above you, beside you. Lord, we ask you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to truly worship you in spirit and in truth, to make you the priorities of our lives. Lord, I pray we would be tools in your hand, Lord, that we would be a reflection of you to a lost and a dying world. Lord, I pray we'd be so in love with you we can't help but talk about you. We'd be so in love with you, Lord, that people would see a reflection of you in our actions and our attitude and the way we treat others. Lord, they would see the love of Christ in us. As we go to this time of the Lord's Supper, of communion, I do pray, Lord, for each of us that we would not take this lightly, that this would be a time of looking back to Calvary, of reflecting upon our own walks with you. This would truly be a time of intimate fellowship with you, a time of thanksgiving for what you've done, a time of praise and worship for who you are, and Lord, a time of encouragement and excitement about the day when we will have this with you in heaven. So Lord, we pray you would take this time and use it for your glory. Draw us unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you're new here, we're gonna, they're going to